Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is Hugo Lindgren. Uh, for those of you who listened in last week, you know that we are switching up our format a bit so that on Tuesdays, or the episode that comes out on Tuesdays, will be me and Hugo talking about the issues of the day, and then Thursdays will be me interviewing uh, someone else who's hopefully interesting to you guys. So um, today is uh, Monday, May 20. Third, is that right? Twenty fourth, May twenty fourth. Twenty fourth, yeah. Um, and this will come out tomorrow, the twenty fifth. So, uh, Hugo, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I think okay. Yeah. Uh, I was d- disappointed with the um, Knicks game last night in terms of the outcome, but it was it was fun to see them compete in the playoff series for the first time in a in a long time. In in the building too. I was in the building. Yeah, it was great. I know that that Hugo prefers it when I focus on sports on these podcasts more than anything else. So. <laughs> I always try to bring it back around to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sports all the time. Um, we're actually going to talk about uh, internet privacy to start with, uh, which is um, this incredibly amorphous and confusing subject, particularly when big com- tech companies talk about it. So I, I want to ask you a personal question about privacy, Bradley, which is what is important to you about privacy on the internet? What's the, what's the piece of it that, that, that matters to you personally? You know, I, I don't really care that much, to be honest. Um, I assume that everything I do can be hacked. Um, so uh, as a result, I, I, and I also, look, Facebook, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, one of the things that they do that really frustrates me is they, they don't treat the American consumer or the consumer in general like like a responsible adult, right? Which is Facebook lies to you and says, you can have all these services for free. You can keep up with your best friend from eighth grade. You can look at pictures of their cat, all all of this cool stuff, um, and your privacy is totally protected, right? And the reality is that's half true. You get this stuff for free, and in return for that, your your data is being monetized and you're being advertised to, right? Which is, to me, a reasonable trade-off. And Facebook could say, "Look, if you don't want to pay, this is how we this is how we afford this. If you want a subscription, we won't monetize your data, right?" Uh, now, whether Facebook then does what they say they'll do, I think time will tell. Um, but right now, they just insist on treating everyone like idiots and, and thinking, oh, they can't possibly handle the notion that there's a trade-off and that they can willingly choose to make that trade-off. But I think most people will. Um, and I, I wish that the companies were more mature about it. Then why is the sort of the discussion about it? I mean, if, if, if for the most part, when we're talking about privacy, we're talking about like what kind of ads will follow you around the Internet because they know your buying habits and that kind of thing. Why are people so paranoid about that? What's the is there is there some piece of it? That- yeah, I know. I, ironic. Well, just because I think that they want to believe that their emails are completely secure and their and their you know Facebook messaging about someone's cat is completely secure. Um, and look, the the irony is those ads are very tailored to your emails. But not because a human being is reading them, because AI is reading it, and they're picking out the keywords and then serving you up ads uh, in, in on those topics, um, which to me is I don't find all that disturbing. There are some areas of the internet where I think privacy is really, really critical: um, medical records, banking, voting, uh, as as we move that along. And so there are things that I think really do require serious cryptography. Um, and, and and real privacy rules around it, um, but but the use case that everyone has around not having to see certain types of ads to me is really the wrong one. Do you know anybody who's ever had like their bank account emptied like from you know some some hacker? Has that happened to anyone you know? No, 
we once, my dad once transferred money to someone who was impersonating me and asked for a wire. Um, and Citibank was able to claw it back. So I guess that happened. Um, so, but that's, that's the closest I've come to it. So there's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Benedict Evans. He's, he's some sort of tech uh, commentator guy with, with fingers in the, uh, the uh, venture space a little bit, but he, he, uh, in his most recent newsletter, he, he, he said the cookie apocalypse is upon us and the tracking model of the last 25 years is going away. I, I, I got excited by the idea of the cookie apocalypse until I realized that he was just talking about the tracking of ads, um, which seemed to me less of a big problem. Um, but I wonder if, if there is a, if there is a benefit to consumers here that is not being properly, like, like, isn't it kind of a good thing that like we get shown things that we might want as opposed to just rando things that like, you know, they're just. Yeah, look, it's, it's at least more efficient if you accept that you're going to be advertised to. In, in theory, it'd rather be things that you're interested in than not. But I think at the end of the day, most people find most advertisements sort of annoying and irrelevant regardless of, of the topic or anything else. So, but yeah, I just think that of all the different problems to worry about in society, there are parts of the internet where privacy is essential because you want to be able to conduct really secure transactions and people have confidence in the security of those. But there's a lot of stuff. And look, this is why I think Apple in some ways is so brilliant. They make such a big deal about how they're protecting your privacy when in reality, A, it's just a brilliant misdirection play where in order to get away with all the ways that they use your data to sell to you um, gets obscured. And somehow Tim Cook now looks like the champion of privacy, when in reality, Apple, like the vast majority of companies, is a rapacious capitalist organization designed to maximize profit to its shareholders, which I don't even have a problem with, as the far left would gladly remind you. Um, so, uh, but But with that said, I think most of the Apple... Uh, PR around privacy is, is really designed just to give them cover to make as much money as they can without anybody noticing. Do you think we're reaching the point where people are going to fall out of love with uh, Apple? I mean, I know that uh, the people on maybe the far left don't love Apple, but the, the sort of halo around that brand, is that something that, that it has, has gone away, is going away, is, is not going not, not until someone can replace it from an aspirational standpoint, right? I mean, Android is a more widely used product overall, I believe, than, than app, than iOS. Um, but it's designed to be something that is more affordable. Um, therefore, it, it reaches more people and it has higher market share. But there's nothing aspirational about it. There's nothing cool about it. It's just like, well, this is what I could afford because I couldn't afford an iPhone. And Americans especially, that's the entire, entire advertising model is built on sh showing you things and telling you implicitly that if you have this thing, you will be happier. And if you don't have this thing, you will be upset. Uh, and therefore, you have to buy it. That is the entire American advertising and marketing system. So um, Apple is no different than that, which is if you have an iPhone, AirPods, uh, Air Mac, whatever thing they have, um, you, you get some sort of status conferred to you with it. Um, and therefore, uh, you're special. So until someone can replace that aspirational notion, I don't think they replace Apple. You mean replace it in terms of a, a phone company or, a, or a, I mean, a, the... someone who makes those types of devices right. where all of a sudden it's even cooler to have X, right? Right now, the alternatives are usually it's cheaper to have that, but not cooler. Right. So uh, today, I guess, is the, the final day of the proceedings in the lawsuit brought against Apple by Epic Games. Have you followed that at all? The, the sort of uh, a, a, a little bit more. So Lyle, um, during the height of COVID, was an avid Fortnite player, 
um, it's, it has ceased to be cool with him and his friends. So as his interest in Fortnite has waned, so has my focus on the lawsuit, but I'm, I'm generally aware. And, and, um, and is is this a, is this a big deal? I mean, the, the, it, it does seem a little crazy that, that, that Apple's able to collect such a gigantic commission off in-app purchases. Um, but on the other hand, they control the sort of terms of the, of, of, of the, of their of Fortnite's availability to 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 game users, so well, that gets into the question of you know is a cell phone a utility? Is the internet a utility? Right? No one yells at a landlord for charging uh, commercial rents that are really high because we just say the market will resolve this if if there is sufficient demand for the for that at that price, then obviously it's efficient pricing, and if there's not, they'll lower the price accordingly. Um, on one hand, Apple is charging rent for space in in, in the store, right? Um, and that makes sense. And in theory, if they're just like any other landlord, their their job is to maximize the amount of revenue they can generate from it um, without going so high that they end up losing people. Um, so 30% is probably that number. On the flip side, the question becomes, is the internet a utility and therefore it's a public good as opposed to, say, a class A office space building? Um and if so, if someone has a monopoly over a utility, that's why the antitrust laws exist. And that's where Apple suddenly becomes vulnerable. So um, I think ultimately this gets worked out. Maybe, maybe it doesn't get worked out with Epic. But I think if Apple has a genuine fear of federal antitrust regulation because of its 30% take rate uh, on anything in the store, um, then ultimately the price will come down because it, to them, the downside will start to outweigh the upside, right? The downside of all of the litigation and all of the legal costs and all of the distraction and everything else may mean that 20% makes more sense for them. Uh, but I think ultimately the, the way that this is won is, is less so what happens in this particular court battle, although it's important precedent, and more of whether the, the Biden Justice Department um, chooses to focus on this. It seems like Apple's in this kind of incredible situation where they, you know, they they have problems everywhere you look, except for the ones that really matter. <laughs> you know, like like they 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 have tons of critics. They have some political problems. They have they have uh, other companies angry at them, um, but they have this customer base that is just in love with them and will spend you know whatever they whatever they want to charge. Uh, for- well, and by the way, it's even more than that. Look, Apple is really good at getting away with being really shitty to its customers, right? So AirPods, I have, it is effectively something that I need for my work, right? I am on the phone a good chunk of the day and AirPods work better than any other device and therefore I, I have to have it, right? They're also very easy to lose. Apple does not make it easy to find two random AirPods where you lost one of each year and pair them back together and have them be functional, they basically make it really difficult so that you have to just keep buying more and more and more. But for as long as you say it's just the cost of doing business and I have no choice, um, you will do so, right? So, you know, with the professional class, if they see Apple's products as simply a, a prerequisite to be able to do their work, um, then they've got, you know, an incredible stranglehold on the market. So what is your personal strategy for not losing your, 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 your pods? Like what, what? I don't really have one. I just, I tried at one point, I put a piece of masking tape on mine so that Lyle and Abby wouldn't take them from me. Right. Right. Yeah. We had that too. And that worked until I lost those. Um, but no, I mean, they just, they fall out of my pocket. They disappear all the time. And the truth is I have, I'm probably on 
pair number 15 or something like wow, that. Wow, 15. Do you, do you have like, do you, have you back ordered like 10 of them and they sit on your, on your, like in their little packages on your, on your, uh, I have a couple at home and, and I have Basil. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm sure Basil's pleased to hear that. Um, so we're going to switch, we're going to switch around here and start talking about some, uh, a few different topics of the day. Um, as I'm sure you're aware, there's a, um, a pretty significant move in the United States to, to, to increase the vaccination rates. There are all these sort of pockets of resistance around the country that we read about endlessly in the New York Times. Um, you know, one of the one of the strategies has been, uh, I guess, Ohio started this, you know, where they offered like a sort of lottery prize to people who got yeah. vaccinated. Um, if Tusk Strategies was put in charge of the national vaccination program to just get the, you know, get the, the rate as close to 100 percent as possible. Uh, what would you what would you offer? I mean, it's it's the question. The first is, is it carrot or stick? Right. So I, I would argue that the most powerful weapon you have, although I understand why uh, governments who are run by people have to run for reelection don't want to do this. But it, it's really stigma right now. There's just not that much stigma attached to not to choosing not to get the vaccine. Uh, maybe in, in very particular circles there would be, but overall, um, it's seen as societally an acceptable choice. If all of a sudden the cost of not having the vaccine is that you were publicly shamed, right? You have to wear a sandwich board all day saying, I won't get the vaccine. Don't come near me. Um, you would get the vaccine really fucking fast. So like that old school, the sandwich board, like you're showing your age there, Bradley, the, the sandwich. Board. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's my, that's my true solution to everything. The sandwich board. Uh, but I, I think that, look, you can incentivize people and, you know, lottery is a good way to do it. And there's lots of different, both governments and companies and entities trying to come up with ways to give people, you know, a reason to do that. And I think that makes all the sense in the world, but fundamentally people are going to do it at scale, either one, because they have no choice. Like you can't send your kid to school. Um, You can't, uh, you can't drive a car, whatever, whatever it is that you would take away from someone. Um, or or the stigma would be so significant that it would be better for them to do it than not do it. Um, and look, even if certain states took that path, clearly it's going to be open to a lot of litigation and a lot of judicial interpretation over what people's individual rights are compared to the collective well-being of society. And then even within that, you know, you're going to see some states where, like we've seen with masks and everything else, it becomes a political uh, football where you want to be anti-vaccine uh, in order to be the most kind of right-wing candidate to position yourself for the next statewide Republican primary in Alabama or Texas or Florida or whatever it is. So um, I think forcing unanimity is going to be tough no matter what. But I, I do think stigma stigma and, and restrictions is the fastest way to do it. But again, there are also harder ways to do it. So that's why people States like Ohio are, are trying out things that are more basic, like lottery. It feels like the stigma would come with a big, a big backlash sort of potential too, though. I mean, where people almost want. I was listening to some. I watched Newsmax for a second last night because I was trying to find one of the. Uh, maybe it was during the day. I was trying to find one of the Premier League games, and Mark Halperin. I didn't realize. You know, you know, he has a show on Newsmax. Did you know that? Um, I did not know that. Yeah. So he was doing some kind of like focus group thing with. With people, I watched for a few minutes, and there was just one one of the sort of commentators. This, I don't know who she was. I think she was just a random person, but she was talking about all the ways that she was feeling coerced into getting a vaccine, and she wasn't going to get it. And it felt like 
the coercion that she was referring to was was one of the big reasons she didn't want to do it. You know that it that it became this self justifying kind of. Do you know what would also solve the problem? What's that? Don't have Newsmax on your house. Mobile voting. <laughs> I feel like we might have a moratorium on you suggesting that mobile voting is a solution to every problem, though. Yeah, luckily it's my podcast. Um, (laughs) But look, just think about it this way. It is societally acceptable in some parts of this country to not get a vaccine because there are political leaders who agree with you, right? Uh, Or at least say that they agree with you. They do so because if you're running for governor of Mississippi and turn out in that primary 16%, then the furthest right uh, candidate is most likely to win. If turn out that same primary is 60%, then it's a more moderate influence on the election, um, which means that things that are more reasonable, like get a fucking vaccine, um, become the norm, and in which case people shift their positions uh, to capture that. So fundamentally, for as long as this country is run by extremists, which is going to be the case for as long as uh, our elections are so low turnout, um, really irrational things like choosing not to get vaccinated uh, become acceptable. So um, the uh, the government is suddenly talking about um, UFOs as like a, a, a real thing, yeah. which is like kind of mind blowing. And, and to me, it feels like a, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed how everybody is, is so quick to, uh, well, not, I don't know, everybody, but people I talk to are so so sure that 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 this is that this must be true now that the government is you know you have people like uh, John Brennan and others like talking about how uh, uh, you know there's real there's real there's there's real evidence there are all these case files all this stuff um, where are you on UFOs what what's your I mean I'm, I'm kind of bullish on them in the sense of if take a half a step back the universe is really vast right we are one solar system around one star, the sun, that is really powerful, but but there's a lot of much bigger stars uh, in, in, in the galaxy. So the notion that um, with this, the vastness of the universe, that there wouldn't be something else out there that would also have intelligent life, to me seems unlikely, right? Well, like, I mean, of course, we- but on the other hand, like, but then also has the technology that is like even like somehow visible to us. Well, so, well look at this. We have... We have satellites that they're in our solar system because it would be useless otherwise. But we have satellites up in the air that if you were a life form on another planet, you maybe would be able to spot it and wonder what it is. And yet we're not communicating with people on Jupiter or whatever it is. And, you know, I don't think there is necessarily intelligent life form in this in this particular planetary system, but it's one of many. Um, But overall, yeah, I mean, we're outside of our own atmosphere um, and yet we're not communicating with other life forms. So maybe someone look, it's all a question of evolution, right? People evolve because of the specifics of Earth, right? The climate, the the geography, the landscape, everything kind of combined so that people evolve in the way that we are right now. And maybe in fifty years, fifty thousand years we'll evolve more and we can fly or something like that. I don't know. But like fundamentally, if you have other planets, they have their own forms of evolution. And some of those might be faster and more sophisticated than ours. But if you think about it, human beings are fundamentally, and this is actually partly why I believe in God. I know I'm taking this in a different direction now, but um, are, are definitionally flawed, right? You know, we're, we're not perfect. We have some incredible abilities and, and skills and some incredible personal character flaws and weaknesses 
and we're struggling between the two. Even the best of us are kind of engaged in a moral struggle all of the time between what we think is right and what we actually want. Um, and, and so that means that human beings are definitionally limited. I like to think that God actually chose that deliberately, um, if nothing else, to make it interesting. But, um, make it interesting. <laughs> but you could have intelligent life on other planets that don't necessarily have these limitations. What if, what if you had an entire planet that was exactly like us, but everyone were what we would call a sociopath, which, so there's no conscience, no empathy, none of that. You'd have, you'd have a very different society, very different choices made. It would be much worse in some ways and, and it might be more advanced in other ways. But like, I assume that, you know, each, each planet has its own form of evolution, whether it's moss and amoeba or human beings or whatever form it takes. And the notion that some of those planets uh, might, might have more intelligent life form than we do, like, I think that's highly possible. Would you be concerned that the, uh, the sort of military industrial complex is merely sort of gearing up for the next huge uh, uh, spending on, on uh, all kinds of advanced weapons to protect us from, from the, the unknown and the unseen? Yeah, no, not really. No. I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist in general. So, like, do I think that the military creates crises when they are facing budget cuts? Yeah, absolutely. And with a Democratic Congress and president, they're not as big of a priority as they were under Trump. So I, th I think I, I can see what you mean from that standpoint. But the reality is they have so many different tasks they have to get done here on Earth along with other human beings that I, I don't think they need to justify an alien invasion um, to either keep themselves busy or, or, or to keep their budget where it is. Um, so on the subject of unseen threats, I guess it's becoming more and more, not necessarily accepted, but but the 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 possibility that COVID was invented in a lab in Wuhan yeah. um, is, is definitely gaining traction. Um, what's your outlook on that? I mean, it, it, yeah, I, mean I've, I have a pretty depressing take on this. So, uh, which okay. is, and I've, said, I've said this before, and I think we've discussed this before. I believe that we may be in an era of pandemics and it's not just this one once in a hundred year event. So first of all, we had, SARS and MERS and bird flu. And we had all of these smaller, more contained pandemics over the past 15, 20 years, right? And then COVID became a, a global pandemic um, that shut down the entire world, basically. But we had plenty of smaller examples already. Uh, we live in a world now, and this gets back to the whole point of evolution and technology and everything else, where human beings can create some pretty amazing things in a lab. Um, and some, sometimes those are positive inventions like great medicines, and sometimes they're negative like bioterrorist weapons. And the notion that COVID could have been created in a lab, and then I, do I think that the Chinese deliberately put it out there? Probably not, because they didn't do particularly well in COVID either, right? No, I don't, I don't, think, really, I don't think many really serious people think that. Yeah, but, I don't, but do I think that it's possible that uh, a government lab in China was messing around with bioterrorist agents? Absolutely. Just like, by the way, I assume that's true in the U.S. and Russia and Israel and India and parts of the EU as well, right? So, like, this is now in the arsenal of what nation states and sometimes independent, sophisticated bad actors like ISIS or whoever um, now have. And it seems to me that if you look at the ROI of COVID, um, it's like the highest performing thing ever, right? It shut down the entire world over something that really didn't kill. It killed a lot of people, but not nearly as many as you would expect. If I said to you, the entire global economy will be shut down for well over a year, 
um, and everyone will be forced to basically stay inside their homes uh, because of this terrible pandemic. And then I asked you to predict the death rate. You probably would have predicted a much higher number than what we actually had, right? So in terms of not killing a lot of people, but causing lots and lots of disruption, COVID was extremely effective at that. So why wouldn't certain governments try to manufacture other agents like that if they think it's in their interest? And if you are a terrorist organization and your only goal is chaos, um, why wouldn't you release those? Because the, the minute that we start getting back to normal and you start having flights from Wuhan to JFK again, if you know, then I just put a few people on that plane um, and there you are, you're back at it again. So it seems to me that it's highly possible that we are heading into uh, an era of pandemics. I think we were lucky in some ways that COVID wasn't even more deadly than it was. Most people came through it okay, although sadly a lot of people did lose their lives, six, six or 700,000 in the United States alone. So I worry about that. Uh, and as a venture capitalist, I think about it in terms of uh, investing in technologies that I think became prevalent during the pandemic, but I think will become a normal way of life in part because we'll accept some of them um, just as a better way to do things. But part also because I'm not confident that when we all finally emerge with our, you know, those of us who want to get vaccinated with our shots, uh, that that's the end of this. Right. Two more questions and then uh, we'll be done. Um, This is definitely one of the weirder, more out there podcasts we've had, I think. I don't think it's been weird. We're we're, we're discussing the news. And I mean, you've, um, you've all scared the crap out of everybody now with your age of pandemics thing. But other than that, I think... Uh, but yeah, but mobile voting will fix that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, if we talked about sports, I'd probably solve it. Yeah. No, we're definitely not talking about sports. We're done with sports for this for this episode. Um, so Stephen Breyer is 82 years old, and I, I guess the, the the pressure to get him to, to retire while Biden still has a majority in the Senate is, is growing. Um, is this something the Democrats should, uh, I mean, if you, if you try to try to imagine how not to repeat the same mistake you just made, um, this would, this would be a smart move for the, for the Democrats. Sure. You know, um, if I were Breyer, I'd tell them to go fuck themselves, you know? Well, it sounds like he is telling them Yeah, that. He earned the right to be on the court. He, he, he was able to get himself nominated. Who nominated him? Was it, was it Clinton? H.W. Bush? Clinton. Breyer's Clinton. Oh, Breyer's Clinton. Okay. But uh, either way, and look, if I'm Breyer and I'm looking at this, you, as much as Biden might be saying that he wants to have appointments, in some ways, it's like a no-win thing for him, right? Because if he appoints people who will satisfy the far left, they will have a hard time in confirmation. um, And they probably don't really ascribe to Biden's overall view of the world, right? And what's the point of being president if you can't put people who are like-minded to you on the Supreme Court? On the flip side, if Biden picks a fairly moderate, middle-of-the-road type person, uh, he's going to be endlessly roasted by the left wing of his own party. Um, And so it's a little bit of a no-win situation. You don't really have this problem with with the other appointments to the district or appellate courts because they just don't get that kind of attention. Uh, There's still big fights over them, but the public doesn't know. I couldn't tell you, anyone who's nomination is currently pending for the appellate circuit, right? But everyone knows the Supreme Court. And so Breyer might actually be doing Biden a a favor uh, by not giving into it. And I wouldn't give it to it if I were him. Um, If I were the congressional Democrats, yeah, you would want this in advance of the 2022 election, because there are a few issues that you know are winners for you. And and choice uh, is, is one of them. So if you can make the 2022 election about about abortion, um, that is much better 
than making it about identity politics or about whether or not uh, the Democrats in Congress have achieved enough over the last two years or, or anything else. So, um, so yeah, I, I get why it is in Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer's political interest to change the subject to um, social issues around the Supreme Court nomination, but I don't think it's good for Biden, and I don't think there's any reason why Breyer should have to do that. Last question. Save the most important thing for last. Um, the Mets, finally. I've been waiting no, 30 no, no, minutes. No, no, no. No one cares about your views of the Knicks. They don't. I'm sorry. No, um, the Mets. I oh, the Mets. Cares. Oh, the Mets. That's not you said. The Knicks. Everybody cares about that. Yeah, everyone cares. It's in May. The baseball is 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 at the top of everyone's mind. It's true. Um, wait, the, the the Mets are they in first place? They're in first place. We are up by a game and a half, but literally of the 26 uh, players that you expect to be in the opening day roster, something like 14 or 15 of them are on the IL right now. Yeah, that's so weird. Um, uh, Beto O'Rourke is going to run for governor of Texas, allegedly. Um, of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. Um, I, I, it's funny. I kind of thought you were like in the pro-Beto camp, but it, you're not? No, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I, I have an appreciation for talented politicians on either side, quite frankly, um, just because I can admire what they do. Right? I don't agree with AOC on much, but I admire her political skill. Right? And I think when Beto ran for Senate in 2018 – he was like pitching a no hitter, right? And I really admired the skill he put around it. With that said, this to me seems like a really mediocre white guy, right? There's nothing that impressive about him. He's not particularly brilliant. He doesn't have ideas that are like really all that striking. Is he number four mobile voting, by the way? You know, I did a call with his presidential campaign about it and we talked to some policy people about it. And then he was out of the race before it even came up. But I just like, you know, of course, I would have preferred Beto to be the U.S. Senate over Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is like the, one of the worst people alive. Um, in fact, if we want to scare off the aliens or the UFOs, just have them meet Ted Cruz. And they'll just be like, we just want out of here. Like, we want nothing to do with this planet at all. Um, but I just, you know, look, there it is like it's a great, like, hype is always texas is purple texas is turning blue you know because harper's from there i've, I've been going to austin for 25 years now more um so i've got a pretty good awareness of texas and texas politics more than than other states probably and they've been saying this forever right and that was that was true that was you know all rick perry was going to lose and abbott was going to lose and cruz was going to lose and and none of them ever lose right Cruz, who's a horrific human being, still managed to win. If he could win, then you think they're going to beat Greg Abbott? I, I just think that this is like the constantly like the ultimate sort of head fake in politics where you get people all worked up and excited about something that the odds of success are pretty low. And on top of that, the governor of Texas is actually constitutionally one of the weakest governors in the country. Um, the lieutenant governor in this case is independently elected, is the president of the Senate, and actually has in many cases, more power than the governor does. So um, it's not to say that that Beto, you know, shouldn't run. I mean, what else does he have to do? Of course, he's going to run. But um, do I think that this is something that everyone should now turn all of their attention to? No. On that note, uh, thanks, Bradley. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Hugo. Go.